The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. Welcome back to another episode of Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Chris Smalls Angelos. And Smalls, this week, we welcome, we had Jordan Sperber, a.k.a. HoopVision68 on Twitter, on our show. Uh, like I said in the intro, he categorizes himself as somewhere between a data scientist and a basketball coach. But really fun episode. Young guy trying to make it in the media side of things now after three years as a Division One staffer in the analytics and video coordinator realm. But uh, I, I had a great – we had a great conversation with him. We talked about a lot of different things, not as much of a conversation about, like, what's next for him or how he kind of got to where he is, but more kind of breaking down what he does on a day-to-day basis and, and kind of how that impacts basketball, right? It was, it was a different episode, I thought, for us. Yeah, and I think these are the type of people uh, – I mean, he's a perfect example of coaches. Go out and follow this guy on Twitter and also – possibly look into if it's going to help you subscribe and buying his stuff because it can make a world of difference. And I think the really most intriguing part about it was the division two and division three level, the small college guys. I mean, everyone on the division one and the NBA level has these analytical tools. They have specific people doing analytics. So really you're in a saturated area where you might only make a difference of half a point or something like that. But if you can learn how to use these tools and use that him as a resource, you might be talking about elevating your wins, you know, by five wins next year, just based off on using the right analytical tools and understanding them, uh, how your team operates. So I think that's really the advantage for small college guys and high school guys alike. Yeah, I think so too. He told us some funny stories about, uh, about, some of his time as a Division One staff or two. He did work for Eric, Eric Musselman, Paul Weir, Chris Jans. We did not get into any sort of Eric Musselman stories or anything like that on the pod. So if you're if you're sitting here and you're like, oh man, he's going to talk about like really funny things that coaches made him do. Unfortunately, not the podcast for you. But I, I do agree with Smalls. A, a, an interesting conversation on sort of how to apply analytics and the, and the way to familiarize yourself with analytics, especially if you're not kind of doing that. And then some great advice about, you know, getting into computer programming and, and, and things of that nature. So a little bit of a shorter intro this week because we did go long with him on the interview. It was uh, about an hour and 20 minutes, I think, about an hour and 25 minutes. But a good example of people helping people, we had a mutual connection who reached out to us and said, like, I think Jordan would be really great on your show. And uh, he was. He, he was kind of down with what we did, and, and it was a really good setup. So shout out to our guy, Edgar Walker. A lot of people who listen definitely know uh, Edgar now working with Bleacher Report, but a guy that's been around the basketball industry as well. So really good example of that. And then Smalls, it's finally the week of the Final Four. Uh, we will both be in Minneapolis starting about midday on Thursday. And uh, it should be a pretty exciting time. You're raising the roof over there. I can see you. But uh, yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to kind of meeting some different people, uh, catching up with some people that we haven't seen. And, and in general, just kind of witnessing the spectacle that is the Final Four where you know, this is the four or five days a year that coaches are allowed to let loose. No, no other days. You know, you can't waste yeah. your time. And you still got to go to clinics in the morning. You got to make sure you get your work done early, get your workout in, maybe hit the sauna, sweat out all the toxins, go to a clinic, learn a little bit, and then act a fool for the next 18 hours. That's kind of every day, right? And in the words of our friend, uh, friend of the podcast, Casey Sitzel, a massive, a massive amount of inventing goes on during the final four. So I'm looking forward to meeting all the Thomas Edison's of the basketball world out there 
and uh, just getting to know. It's going to be exciting. I'm just pumped to have fun. And like Tyler said, I'll be trying to bring back uh, Raising the Roof as I do every year. So you'll see me raising the roof everywhere I am. All right. No official Create Your Shot meetup, but we will be uh, out and about. Maybe make an appearance at the – I think we're going to go to the three-on-three. Uh, three. Uh, Mark Titus and Tate Frazier do the little three-on-three three contest. I think we'll definitely probably take a stop over there. I think it's actually at Mall of America. And then uh, we'll, we'll just be around. You know, I'll have some Create Your Shot koozies. I'll be probably drinking vodka and water just to make sure that I keep it healthy. We'll, you know, stay hydrated while also enjoying myself. Smalls will probably be, you know, I don't know, maybe Steel Reserve, maybe Mickey's or Old English or something like that. Cheap. Mad Dog 2020. Uh, I'll, I'll be, if it's not available in Minnesota, I will import that over. No, no free ads. No free ads for that. So <laughs> except for Tito's. Tito's is fine. Uh, but if you do want to get in touch with us, we are at Create Your Shot on Twitter, Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, and Create Your Shot at gmail.com. So just reach out to us. Let us know you're going to be there. Uh, our numbers are out there. We will see a lot of different people. But other than that, if you like what you hear, please do rate and subscribe and give us a review. Five-star review shoots us up the charts. If you do that and you reach out to me, show me you did it, I'll give you a koozie for free. Also, if you end up finding me at the Final Four, chances are I'll have some koozies on me. I'll give you one for free there as long as you promise to. How's your drink in it for the rest of the evening? And then, like I said, a shorter intro this time, but Jordan Sperber, HoopVision68 on Twitter, host of the Solving Basketball Pod, uh, HoopVision68 on YouTube. Take, take, follow him, watch his YouTube stuff. One other thing he did was the NCAA Tournament Bible, which was unbelievable if you're like Smalls and I and you wanted to go uh, bet some money on BovadaSportsbook.com, but also a, a way for guys to really learn and watch a video on all the teams in the NCAA Tournament and a little bit more of the NCA tournament strategy for filling out your brackets. I reach out to him. His DMs are open. Tons of information on basketball, tons of X's and O's, tons of analytics, and super fun interviews. So as always, I appreciate everyone who listens, and we look forward to seeing everybody at the Final Four, and enjoy this week's episode with Jordan Sperber. Welcome on, Jordan Sperber. You guys know him as at HoopVision68 on Twitter. I was joking around before. A lot of coaches have probably just seen the Twitter account. His first name is Jordan. All that information and plays that you've stolen from his scouting videos. HoopVision68, Jordan Sperber. And the host of the Solving Basketball podcast. Jordan, you describe yourself as somewhere between a basketball coach and a data scientist, but you are also formerly a Division I staffer at New Mexico State and Nevada. But we appreciate you joining us. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to be on. Yeah, this is obviously a busy, busy time of the year for you uh, as someone who's breaking down a lot of film and breaking down a lot of different analytics. But I want to kind of call out, you, you just most recently did the Hoop Vision NCAA Tournament Bible, and you broke down every single team in the field. You provided a bunch of bracket strategy, tons of video scouting. What was that like? And, and what was the process going into doing such a huge analytical and video project? Yeah, so I started doing Hoop Vision stuff again back in in October, and there was a lot of plans that we had for it, and most of them didn't really come true. It was a lot of learning on the fly, 
But one of them was this tournament ebook, which we sort of jokingly called the Bible, and then the name kind of worked, and we just kept it. We kept the Bible name. Uh, and so the idea was to build up a following all year of, of you know, dedicated college basketball people and all the content for free, all the content for free, and then, and then try to make some money at the end of the year uh, with, with a, a paid ebook. Um, and so that was kind of in place all along. What the, what the ebook was going to be changed a little bit in, in my mind. And I had anticipated working on it more throughout the year than I did. Um, so myself and Rafi Goldman, who uh, was also on staff at Nevada with me, uh, probably three to four weeks uh, before Selection Sunday, we, we uh, started watching all these teams. We each had our own allotted teams. And when the bracket came out uh, on, on Selection Sunday, we were fortunate enough where no one was included in the field that we hadn't anticipated. Uh, so that was good. We we had done probably six or seven bubble teams that didn't get in just to cover our bases. And it was an all nighter though on, on Slash of Sunday. So I, I didn't go to sleep or I took a nap at two o'clock PM the next day. Uh, so <laughs> it was worth it. It did really well. Sales did well, but it definitely felt like I was a video coordinator again in terms of the, uh, the overnight workload. <laughs> Yeah, I know a lot of people probably were really interested in it for, you know, being able to like get onto Bovada and, and and fire some discs into the NCAA tournament, but also like for brackets and stuff like that. But you had a number of people who are like, you know, have a pretty big market share in this industry tweet how good the quality was. Did you have coaches? You don't have to say names, but did you have coaches buy it for analytical stuff? Like just to be like, oh, hey, we're playing somebody in round one that like, I don't know a ton about. I want to I want to take a look at this video breakdown. Did you have anything like that happen as well? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I hadn't, we hadn't really thought about it, uh, but I had someone text me from a staff that said, yeah, we're in, we want to buy, we want to buy the Bible. Like, uh, how much does it cost? And, and so what we ended up doing was a 50, it was 15 bucks for, for anyone. Uh, but for, for a full staff, we just made, we made it one fifty dollar price and then you could have as many licenses as you wanted. Um, and, and uh, yeah, I would say it's hard, it's hard uh, to necessarily know who is who from every, all the purchases, but I would say at least 15 or 20 teams and not necessarily all in the tournament, some out of the tournament too, uh, um, bought one. And there was one case where we made sure a team got their first round opponent like right away. So before we were even done making it, it, we at least sent them that one team right away. That's awesome. I want to dive right into your story. So three years working on college basketball staffs after you graduate from Nova, you decide to step away and really dive into the media and analytics side of everything. What went into that decision and was it difficult for you? Yeah, so I I think I'm a little bit different from the average analytics guy in that I would consider myself a basketball guy first. Like I grew up in the gym, you know, I played AAU, I played varsity basketball, uh, I played on the club team at, at Villanova. So you're saying you weren't a nerd? Well, no, actually. You're not a nerd. I, so I'm a basketball nerd. <laughs> a lot of nerds try to convince people they're not nerds. We've heard that before. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, uh, I, I, okay. In college, um, when I was at Villanova, I won 
a competition, which was a college basketball writing competition called Stat Geek Idol. That, that was that was what it was called. So that, and and I definitely embraced the the geek or the nerd or or whatever you want to you know just to enter that competition. Obviously, That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so yeah, no, I I, uh, I for sure embrace it. But I, a lot of people come from like an academic or stats background, whereas I before I even really knew um, I got into analytics through Moneyball and, and baseball stuff, but before I even really knew what analytics and all, and all that was, um, I was always obsessed with basketball. That's for sure. Well, you, you say that too. And I think the one part about what you do is that you, you do have really good film breakdowns. It's not just numbers. Like you're able to break down plays, break down sets, break, break down things defensively. Was that something you were able to do when you were younger writing for your blog? Or is that something that you needed to take the three years after college working for Eric Musselman, working for New Mexico State, and, and kind of really hone your craft before you were ready to do this? Or did you always have that kind of love for like sets and X's and O's and things like that to go along with the numbers? I always had the love. Doesn't mean I was good at it by, <laughs> by any means. Um, I think I remember in high school when I started the blog, I did like four intro posts. And one of them was like an intro to statistics, like my thoughts on basketball stats. And I think the second one was an intro to like X's and O's. And I used Stu Morrill at Utah State, who was like, a you know, he ran a million sets at the time. He was kind of the standard. So I was into it in high school. I uh, My senior year on varsity, I remember uh, – like a week before practice started, I walked in uh, to my coach's classroom or whatever with like 20 plays that I thought that we should run. I'm sure he loved that. Um, but so, yeah, I, I was I was definitely into the X's and O's, but I probably wasn't good enough at it where coaches would have cared about what I was saying. Maybe fans would have. Um, but but uh, without the the experience in coaching and learning so much from Eric Musselman and Paul Weir and Chris Jans and all the assistants. Uh, I don't think that coaches would have really cared about about uh, my X's and O's opinions. Anyways. You you mentioned you kind of got into it when Moneyball came around and uh, that got you interested in analytics and basketball. The combination there was a natural fit. What was the challenge initially for you uh, studying and working within analytics? Just because I know coaches who've been like, I want to get into analytics they don't know where to start and then they try it and then they're like, I can't figure this stuff out. I mean, there's a lot of dumb coaches out there, so you can imagine, but <laughs> how did you kind of approach that and uh, essentially study and hone your craft early on? Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't have connections in the sense that I wasn't a manager or a player, which is, you know, I was a grad assistant at Nevada. I, I would love to know the data on this, but uh, I'm sure a high percentage of grad assistants were either managers or former players. There's not, yeah. not 80, 84.65%. So <laughs> no, I'm just, <laughs> I, I, I couldn't imagine. I just that was, was getting you excited. It's <laughs> gotta be, it's gotta be higher than that. Smalls. There's no way it's less than 95%. It just doesn't really work that way. You know, like he's right about that. Yeah. 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 So, and then if, if we want to, if my particular one was started a blog and a Twitter account and became a, a GA, that's, that's, that's even lower. Uh, but, but the reason why uh, I, I think I had great experiences and hopefully made at least a small impact with, with the analytics is that the coaches that were interested in that, that reached out to me, you know, were 
weren't against it, you know. So I I worked for coaches uh, that were analytically friendly. Uh, even so, I was I was Paul Weir brought me to New Mexico State. He's probably one of the more analytics friendly coaches in the country. And uh, Chris Jans came in to New Mexico State after after Paul left for University of New Mexico, and uh, I was just fortunate by complete luck. Um, Coach Jans had been doing a lot of analytics stuff, sort of behind Greg Marshall's back at Wichita State. Uh, Greg Marshall is not the biggest analytics guy. No, uh, but, <laughs> but but uh, Jans was using it. Uh, for his own scouting stuff. And, and he said this before, I think he might've said it. I had him on my podcast uh, that he was using analytics, but, but uh, the rest of the coaching staff didn't necessarily really know it. You know, he, he was just then communicating what he, uh, his opinion based off of those numbers. He wasn't using the numbers themselves. Uh, and so that was a really good fit for me too. I, we have a lot of small college guys, you know, division two, division three coaches on this podcast. And, you know, the resources at high major division one and mid-major and so on are plentiful, typically. D2, D3, not so much. I'm a coach. I'm at a small college. I want to start learning analytics and differentiating my team and really instituting that into my basketball culture at my program. What would you say is the first thing that they should start with and really understand analytically this summer? Yeah, so this is a question that uh, from my podcast. Oh, look at this. Look at this guy. I'm inside (laughs) the brain. I love it. Also having uh, a lot of D2, D3 high school coaches um, that that listen, uh, it was a question I was getting a lot, and I actually did a YouTube video on it called How to Use Analytics to Drive Decision-Making in Coaching. And so it's not necessarily like – the NBA can do a lot of stuff that, that a high school coach or a D3 coach can't do. They, they have the tracking and also just the resources to then use all that data. Um, and then this, uh, what the, the, my plea, I guess, for, for lower level coaches would be to develop a framework um, where all the research that has been done can drive your, your X's and O's and just your overall philosophy. And so probably the best way to would be to start out by reading Dean Oliver's Basketball on Paper, which is basically like the money ball of, of basketball uh, stats books. Uh, and then from there, uh, there there's a, a lot of really good work out there. You know, like uh, Ken Pomeroy is, is the standard for college basketball, but uh, just not taking things not taking decisions and X's and O's and strategies for granted just because they've always been done that way, but trying to hold it to a more rigorous standard of, you know, is this the the most efficient way? Yeah. And I think that's an interesting question because I I would imagine, and I'm curious as to your opinion of this, a a slight advantage at the division two or division three level could be worth a ton more than it would be at the division one level because talent is closer at those levels. Is that, do you think that's a fair assumption to make? Yeah, I do. It's different. Um, like the biggest thing that's come from the analytics movement is don't shoot mid range. Like that's that's number one for sure. Uh, and I think that the the lower you go down, the less important that is actually that particular. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah because, like in, in if you if you look at high school basketball, 
I've seen some research from like either crossover or huddle or, or one of the, that like turnovers are, which it lines up with what your intuition would say. Turnovers are extremely important. Like no one really turns the ball over in the NBA at a very high rate. Like right. at, the, at the end of the day, it's, it's pretty hard to be like just a mess turning the ball over in the NBA in high school. You, you can win a game with a press, you know, or, or pressure defense. Um, and so that's, that's where the NBA has always been the quote-unquote make-or-miss league, uh, and that's why shot selection is so important. It's still important, and you would definitely improve uh, by, by adapting those things at, at lower levels, but it's not always the same necessarily. Even in college basketball, the, the example is Tennessee was one of the most efficient offenses in the country this year and they're just a mid-range machine like they just they take tons of mid-range they don't shoot threes um and it's it's because there, there's the lower the level the easier it is to win with other you know the offensive rebounding and and, and things like that and it's interesting like we're taping this it, it's friday as we're taping this this will come out on tuesday so that game we obviously saw the end result of purdue and tennessee and whatever you thought of you know, kind of the end of the game with Carson Edwards, it's Tennessee struggled defensively all year guarding teams that could shoot threes. And they, they end up running into one of the most three point happy teams and probably should have done enough, but it's hard for them to win a shootout like that because if a team makes threes at a really high rate, they don't usually generate enough good three point looks to win games. And I think if you knew that technology, if you knew those analytics, you wouldn't have people on Twitter saying last night that like Tennessee minus one and a half on Bovada was like, a steal, you know, because you knew Purdue was just not a great matchup for what Tennessee does if they're making shots. And I, I felt pretty good about that, honestly. But it's interesting you bring them up. And then the turnover thing is interesting, too, because I have a bunch of friends that are Maryland fans just from where I grew up. And everyone always complains about Mark Turgeon. And I do think Turgeon is a really good coach. But the two things about Mark Turgeon's teams every year, super high turnover rate on offense, and they don't force turnovers on defense. And it's very hard to overcome that against the best teams in college. And so it's very interesting that you brought those two things up. So I want to toot my own horn for a second because it's my podcast so I can do that, you know. But I just I do think those two things are very interesting because I think you're right. Coaches just think like, all right, shoot threes and layups. And it's not exactly the same as you're not coaching the Houston Rockets or the, you know, or the Golden State Warriors. Right, right. And yeah, it's so I, the math, I always say this, the math is pretty damning towards the, the, the mid range. Like it's, it's, it's an option. It's one less point and you're not really making them at a much higher percentage than a three. So it's, it's pretty tough to overcome, but that's, that's what I love about college basketball is the different styles. So you mentioned Mark Turgeon. Well, you know, like Tony Bennett, who is considered the best defensive coach in the country at, at this point, he doesn't turn. They, they don't. They don't force any turnovers. They don't force any turnovers. <laughs> exactly. And so, and then you have Bob Huggins, who with Press Virginia is the exact opposite. And, uh, and you have Jamie Dixon, who's one with rebounding, offensive rebounding. Roy Williams is one with offensive and, rebounding. And conventional wisdom in, the, wisdom in the NBA now is that it's probably smarter to punt offensive rebounding because of how fast teams play and how often they get out. So if you don't get rebounds, you give up transition opportunities and teams are too good in transition. So yeah. like in college, it is very different. It's hard to, it's hard to pinpoint what exactly works, I think. Yeah. And the other thing, well, about, uh, about the offensive rebounding, uh, uh, I think a big reason for the decline in the NBA is that shooting is so um, prioritized that now it's a shooter at the four, not, not an officer. So personnel has a little bit to do with it. Um, but 
but yeah, it's, it's hard, especially so, you know, I was at, I was at mid majors, um, in, in, in my coaching experience and it's hard to find shooting. That's not awful at every other part of basketball at, at the mid major level. It's hard to find elite level shooters who can defend and rebound and are athletic. And it's, it's just hard to do. Those guys are going high major. I, I mean, think about it though, Jordan, like Duke is arguably the best team in the country. And, and I'm certain, you know, they're, they're on Bovada. They're definitely the favorite to win the national title. And they're, I want to say they're in the bottom 20 in the country in three point percentage. So they have, you know, three guys that are going to be top six picks, two of the top three picks, if not the top two picks. And they don't make shots. They don't make threes at least. And we saw it with UCF, the way that they guarded them. It was insane. They, they had Taco Fall on Trey Jones just standing underneath the rim. And I know, uh, I think it was Zach Bobert tweeted uh, a clip of them like waving at Jordan Goldwire, telling him to shoot, telling him like daring him to shoot. Uh, and, and the fact of the matter is Duke had an efficient offensive game. They play, they, yeah, they, they played well on offense. Exactly. Their points for possession was good. Yeah, exactly. It's it's that's why this is so interesting. And I'm curious from your side of this coming from the coaching staff side to now doing some more media stuff. Did it take you a minute to be able to kind of convey your message succinctly? Because one of the hardest things is like we can sit here and talk to you all day about basketball and X's and O's and like generally understand most of it. But what do you think about trying to get the message across to the general public and making them smarter without being long winded? Yeah, so. That, that was a big thing with, uh, I have a YouTube channel, which uh, I've, I've put a pretty good amount of work into. Actually, I think going into the season, I thought that was going to be my primary focus was, was the YouTube channel. Uh, it, it has, theoretically, it has a, has a good platform to build up and then eventually monetize. And I kind of got away from it a little bit, but I still have made these long, like I did a, 15, a 15 minute video about on continuity ball screen offense. And I did like a 30 minute video on Princeton. Uh, and then just this, this week I looked at uh, Texas tech and Michigan's defenses and compared them. And those they're pretty technical, uh, like X's and O's type videos, you know, with some analytical stuff sprinkled in. Uh, but really I have yet to get feedback from from the average fan that watches those stuff, and I, w- I was half expecting feedback like this that says like I don't understand what you just said, um, and I don't know why that is. Sometimes I'm thinking, well, maybe I should be doing more advanced stuff then if I'm never getting that, that feedback. It just it just feels like though a lot of this is people want to read like Twitter thread with like gifs and things like that, or they want to read articles that have five or six gifs that are like easy to consume. But then you get into the situation where it like doesn't really break down what's going on. It break down it breaks down what's going on in like a five second clip, but it doesn't really explain context. And I think when judging coaching and, and playing, especially at the college level, I think context is a lot more important. Like I've always thought that like when you say someone's a good defender or a bad defender, you never know because if you don't know what the team's actual defensive scheme is, it's really hard to say if somebody's an awesome defender. And Absolutely. so yeah. That's why I think like you're providing long form stuff, which is really good, but I don't know, like, I'm just curious if that's consumable. I, I don't, I, I honestly ask this more for my own kind of curiosity because I would watch both, but it feels like the stuff that we get in mainstream media, whether it's, you know, the ringer or people breakdown or any, or the athletic, even like that stuff seems to be much more like pick and choose what you want to say to shape your narrative, not necessarily what's actually going on. Yeah. So 
I, I actually wrote a couple articles for B-Ball Breakdown in, in college. Uh, and, and Nick is, is, I mean, he was the first person. Well, he wasn't the first person, but he's, he's the most successful, at least for with sure. the YouTube stuff by for far. Sure. Um, the, my nitpicking with him is that he has a coaching style, his coaching style, you know, he, he goes by coach Nick. Like, and, and when he evaluates a team, he is imparting his coaching style onto that team. And it can be frustrating uh, watching. So he, when Virginia lost to UMBC last year, I remember he did a video on that. And he's a huge no-middle guy. And his critiques of, of Virginia was, well, they, were, they keep allowing middle. Their foot angles are the wrong way on the closeout. And it's like, well, that's exactly how Tony Bennett teaches. That's what they do. Yeah, right, exactly. that's what they do. Um, and it's impossible not to have any bias in, in, uh, in your analysis. But I think I, like, I watch a ton of film uh, to try to get to know what the coach wants done as opposed to what I want done. Uh, and that is how I attempt to, uh, to get around that. Now, you know, I like, I like spacing the floor and spread ball screens. And, and I would imagine that probably comes through in, in some of my videos. So I'm not perfect, uh, but there has been an attempt to, to at least do that. We are in the belly of the NCAA tournament. And you can see me on video. Now that our listeners can't because we're on a podcast, but I'm rubbing my hands together. And the reason being is, you know, I'm going on Bovada. I'm throwing a lot of discs, as Tyler pointed out, uh, that's from a lot that's of different from, ways. That's from a poker background where you, 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 you pitch chips in the middle. So I call it, you call them discs. That's yeah. Sorry. That's so dirty that, for me too. So I'm getting, you know, I'm amped up to have you on number one, but I need to go right into the NCAA tournament. We mentioned the hoop vision, uh, Tony Bible earlier. Has the tournament gone more or less how you figured? Yeah. So this is an interesting question because I think that it has, it has been a surprising tournament, but that's because there hasn't been surprises. So it's a, it's a weird concept, but it's, it's kind of like if you flip the coin uh, 10 times, it would actually be, or let's say you flip the coin 20 times. If it was 10 and 10 heads and tails, that would actually be a little bit surprising. You would expect it to not necessarily land 10 and 10 after, after a perfect 20. Um, and so that's, that's what this tournament has been. Uh, even Oregon, which was the one higher seed, I mean, they had been playing really, really well. They uh, have a lot of, if you just look at like their stars and their recruiting evaluations, like how many stars that they have, they're right in line with all, all the teams. Obviously, Oregon lost yesterday, but just uh, with those 16 teams, there was no huge surprise, which usually there is. Um, and so that has been the lack of surprises have, has been the surprise. Yeah, I would say you're right about Oregon, especially like they hadn't lost a game since like February 23rd and they had gotten guys healthy, obviously, like Lewis King had been hurt. And I mean, that just they also got such a great draw. Like Wisconsin was like the absolute best five seed for them to play just defensively, too. But did you who did you think was undervalued? I guess other than Oregon, I'm assuming you did feel like Oregon was undervalued, but who was undervalued and overvalued? Did you think going into the tournament? Well, the, in, in the Bible a little bit, we did all of the analysis before the matchups even came out. So there wasn't a ton about matchups in there, and matchups are pretty tricky in general. But the, the concept that we talked about, and this is more for if you're filling out a bracket, is that not only does it matter how 
good of a chance the team you're picking has to make the final four or to win it all but it also matters how much other people are taking them in your pool so it's like a uh, when i was on rob doster's podcast he said i I don't play daily fantasy sports but he said it's the same thing for for dfs is is like a value pick yeah like Uh, position scarcity matters same thing when you're drafting like you don't you draft running backs and fantasy football because there's just not that many running backs so if you have a good one your team's going to be better because not everyone's going to have good running backs yeah yeah exactly and so there's usually two reasons why a team is either overvalued or undervalued going into the ncaa tournament and the first is uh on a hot streak or or in, in particular uh if you just won your conference tournament because everyone just was watching that, um, and and they tend to overreact a little bit to the conference tournament. Now, Oregon's a little bit different because um, it was a little bit more explainable. Like you said, King back healthy. They started playing more zone defense. If, if there's like a reason, a, a real reason, then, then maybe it's a little bit different. Um, and then the, the second reason is just brand name. Uh, so this year, the probably the most overvalued team was UNC because they had just beaten Duke uh, a couple times late in the season and they obviously have have the brand name everyone likes UNC Uh, so it's not that UNC doesn't have a good chance to make the final four or win the national title they they have as good of a chance as just about anyone uh, but since so many people are picking them that's they're a little bit overvalued and it feels like like Virginia might have been probably a tiny bit undervalued, even though they're yeah. so good in their one seed. But because they lost last year yeah. in the first round and people don't really like how they play, people are hesitant to pick Virginia. So, like, let's just say you have Virginia winning the national title. You know, 80 percent of the public might have Duke and North Carolina. But like Virginia, like you said, they have some stink on their name right now. So that probably would have been a smarter pick based on how they played this year. You know, they obviously have a little bit of a scare against Gardner Webb, but. And even last night, they didn't look amazing, but they adjusted really well in the second half, I thought, and did just enough to beat Oregon. So it'll be interesting to see them against Purdue, I think. Yeah, exactly. And and I think Gonzaga is in the same boat where people are skeptical of the WCC and and the, the Cinderella thing where, uh, to me, if I was filling out a bracket, and it, dep- it depends on how big your pool is, and there's some other factors that, that go into it, but probably Virginia or Gonzaga would have been the the smarter, not necessarily that they have a better chance than winning it all than, than Duke or even UNC, but just a little bit better value. Hey, Jordan, what's been the biggest surprise of the tournament for you this far? And I'm talking about you. And let me give you mine because, you know, I'm a dope basketball guy, but I'm going to say Texas Tech. What do you think? Yeah, well, Texas Tech crushing – Michigan in the in the way that they did uh, I someone someone just tweeted uh some of the shots that Michigan missed and it I guess when I looked at those um and and they I don't know it live it felt like Texas Tech's defense was was really 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 good and then you watch some of those clips of the missed threes and it was like all right Michigan just missed some shots yeah sometimes it's sometimes it's part of it's partly both like both, defense was yeah. good but also Michigan missile shots Exactly. Um, and yeah, as for an, a, a similar performance, well, I guess how, how well Purdue has shot the ball. I mm. mean, they are a great shooting team, but it was, it was uh, the Purdue Villanova game was pretty similar to that um, Texas Tech Michigan game in terms of just how easily 
two fairly similar teams. Um, it, it was just blown open. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think that this tournament has necessarily been marked by individual surprises, which is ultimately good for me. <laughs> uh, if, if I'm being selfish, I, these are the teams that I've been covering all year. Uh, and so I know them really well. Uh, and, and I'm excited to be able to keep, you know, doing videos and tweets and, and, um, and all of that in, in the final four and, and the national championship. Yeah. For all you Bovada guys out there, uh, Jordan has actually picked every, you know, spread correctly just based on his evaluation. So you should buy everything that he's selling because it's just, honestly, it's like an investment, you know, giving a dollar, you're making a hundred. That's what Jordan's doing for you. Just make it happen. You know what I mean? Guys, we got to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Podcast One Sportsnet is your home for the best coverage of the Final Four in this year's March Madness. Get all the play-by-play and top-notch analysis from sportscasting gurus like Dan Patrick and Rich Eisen. Then, put in your bets with betting expert R.J. Bell on R.J. Bell's Dream Preview. And laugh out loud with the biggest name in the game, literally, on the big podcast with Shaq. Download new episodes of these shows and more every week on Podcast One Sportsnet. Never played daily fantasy before? Yahoo has you covered. Unlike those other daily fantasy sites that let users enter 150 different lineups in the bigger contests, Yahoo has a 10-entry max. That means better chances for you to win the big contest. You can also try out their daily no-management-fee contest. Management fee refers to the amount of money the sites take to run the contest. As a result, Contests with no management fee will have fewer entries with the same amount of prizes. Sign up today at yahoo.com backslash daily fantasy or by downloading the Yahoo Fantasy app. Get $25 in free play when you make your first deposit using promo code POD25. No waiting on the bonus. You can use it immediately to enter contests. Minimum deposit is only $5. That's the promo code. Pod 25. And now back to Jordan Sperber. <laughs> who, who do you think of the? There's obviously 12 teams left today as of the time of, of us taping. By Tuesday, it'll just be eight. But all right, by Tuesday, it'll be four, obviously. But, but who do you think right now of the guys that are left, knowing that like Gonzaga and Texas Tech and Purdue and Virginia have one less game than everybody else? But, you know, who, who do you feel like you're going to be seeing in Minneapolis? Yeah, well, that that's a great point. It it would not be wise to take someone that is a game behind just just based off you know probability wise. But I have been uh, well. I can tell you this: when uh, when Virginia got down to Gardner Webb, you know, Virginia might be the team I've covered the most this year. They're they're fascinating stylistically. We already talked about the the pack line defense, but on offense, they're they uh, they usually have run blocker mover offense with with Tony Bennett and they still run that a little bit but they have started to to go away from it this year. They, so. they ran it they ran it more last night in the second half. I don't know if you got a chance to watch the film, I but did. that was one of the bigger adjustments he made in the second half was switching back to that. Which is interesting because Oregon was switching everything and they have all this size. Uh, and it reminded me of their games against Duke, which Duke switched everything and has so much length. And in those games, they stopped running blocker mover and just went all to the, the ball screen stuff. Uh, so this was the reverse. Uh, you know, who knows if we'll get there, but a, a Duke Virginia uh, championship game 
would be fascinating from an X's and O's perspective. They, I mean, the, the, both coaches have adjusted a lot in those two matchups. And, and it's actually interesting. I read this stat. I was on the phone with somebody and I was talking about like Tony Bennett's had like wild success against the ACC and he's like right around 500. I think he's like 10 and eight against North Carolina or something, but three and 11 against coach K in his career. He's like the only guy in the ACC has a losing record against. So it's a pretty interesting, they've seen each other a lot, but K's gotten the best of him a good bit over the last couple of years. And it seems like nobody else has. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is interesting, especially like Duke hasn't won the regular season. Uh, yeah. Virginia, um, Virginia, I, I don't know what they wound up with two losses. Yeah. I think they're only two losses in to Duke in the regular season twice. That was twice. it. And then that Florida State. And then Florida State in the ACC tournament. That's it. Yeah. And I mean the the craziest part of the of the sixteen over a one is the fact that that uh, Virginia lost one game last year in the regular season and they won the conference tournament. One game in their whole entire ACC run and then lost to UMBC. Even against the two games against Duke this year, they really didn't play poorly. The first game, Duke shot the lights out. But, like, they've really played badly one game in the last – like, I mean badly by their standards in the last two years, and it happened to be a 16-1 upset, like – the, the odds of that happening, Jordan, maybe you can crunch that, but like it's <laughs> fucking astronomical. No, no doubt. No doubt. And, and yeah, I, I, re, I don't remember what the exact number was, but I looked at in the last four years, their record against sub a hundred Kempom teams. So quote unquote, bad teams. And it's their only loss. The, the UMBC one is there. It's like people have been saying that the, the pack line or the blocker mover is somehow more upset prone it's like well they've never been upset besides <laughs> UMBC so like what yeah I uh I am curious what's as we kind of change segments here in a second what's what's next Jordan like the season's gonna end and you you get to take a nap as our guy John Rostein says we sleep in May but <laughs> like what what's next for you I, I mean do you have any desire to get back into coaching or it's just not something you felt like jived with what you wanted to do so it was definitely uh, in the back of my mind when, when making the, the decision that potentially it would that, you know, being public and publishing all this stuff and having coaches reach out. One thing that uh, that I know has happened, I, I, I haven't done them too much recently, but earlier in the year, I was tweeting out a different coaching graph every day, which was like where coaches rank historically in certain areas. Um, and I would get texts from several staffs that like, we just had a two hour staff meeting on your graph. Like, <laughs> um, so like, like, why, why are we ranked here? Like, what are we doing wrong? Um, and so, so I definitely did a lot of networking with, with coaches is, is my point. Uh, asking for more information on graphs or, or whatever the case is. And so in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, if, if, uh, if that is a, path that I want to get back into it probably wouldn't hurt but it hasn't really been the focus in the last few months here um, definitely focus more and this will become the focus uh, once the season is over on on the business side of stuff and and uh, trying to build it out so that uh, this can be sustainable uh, but that being said you know Eight months from now, you listen to this podcast, and I'm working for a staff. I mean, it, it could happen. I don't know. Have you have you missed it this year? One of the things Smalls and I talk about a lot is like this time of the year is really hard if you're not coaching because like you miss being in the locker room. Do you, have you missed it this year? It, it being your first year out of the last three. 
So I, I've had a bunch of friends in the business ask me that. And my answer is no, but it's, there's a couple of reasons. I helped out with my, my high school team. I got to do a lot of scouting stuff. Uh, they were really good this year, my, my old high school. And especially during their, their sectional playoff run, I was, I was basically doing scouts as if I was uh, on their staff. Um, and, okay. And I had a pretty good amount of, uh, of authority to, to do some game planning stuff. So I got to do, I got to do that. And then also like the starting a, I mean, Hoop Vision has essentially become like a startup or, or a business. There's a lot of competition involved in that. Uh, so I've gotten the fixed, uh, whatever co- competitive fix that I was missing from, from the wins, lo- wins and losses of college basketball. I've gotten a little bit of that too, uh, but you know the the biggest difference is just you know not being around like the guys every single day. That's you know even with the high school stuff that wasn't necessarily the case for me. And you can't really get fired. That's another thing too. You know, or what's the crazy? You don't have to give us a name because you've worked for three coaches. What's the craziest thing? Like you're the video guy, but you also do analytics. Like, but you've worked for some interesting characters. Like, what's the craziest thing you had to do as like a GA or a video guy? Like we've had people talk about like parking cars or like going to Wells Fargo bank and depositing checks or like cleaning people's houses. Like surely you had some, some jobs like that. (laughs) Now you don't have to do that anymore. Just being, so the video guy is like the head coaches and even in some cases, assistant coaches, like personal technology assistant. Oh yeah. (laughs) Regardless of whether it has anything to do with uh, the team, you know, if, if, a head coach's cable box isn't working at home instead of calling Comcast or or whatever, you know, for some reason I don't even have cable and, and I'm, and I'm the one that, but, but yeah, that, that that would probably be the one. So it's for the most part, that's harmless, harmless, but for a coach, uh, and I probably wouldn't have ever said this to (laughs) to the ones that I worked for and had the courage, but, uh, um, it can get technology wise, you can really hurt your program, in my opinion, by not being being willing to dive into things like sports code and and like video type stuff that would increase your scouting process if your coaches were more well versed in it. And what I would compare it to is how much is demanded of players to be working on your left hand, to be working on your secondary post move, and to be working on all these things, try new things, try new things, and then if and for the most part, this was not the case. Uh, you know, like we, we, our staffs, I thought did a great job of getting better with sports code as the season went on. Um, but like that, that is, it, it's leading to wins at the end of the day is your ability to scout. Um, and, and you're demanding it from your players. And I feel like you should demand it from, from yourself and the staff too. Yeah. I, I worked with a guy at college of Charleston, older guy who's at Clemson now, uh, Dick Bender. And he was like, it was very much on his mind. Like, he tried to do sports code at Clemson and he, he was terrible at technology and he'd be the first person to admit it, but he got in every day and like would work like an hour. And, and if he needed to learn how to do something, he never just wanted me to do it for him. He would always be like, can you show me what you're doing? So that way I can be more efficient at this. Cause as he got older, he recognized that technology was getting better. And if he needed to get better, otherwise like his usefulness or his efficiency would like decrease a good bit. And I totally agree with that, Jordan, like just saying like, I'm old. I don't know how to do this. Just put it in as a DVD. Like that's not the way this shit works anymore. Like it just is not. There's just so much information out there, and it's so easy to get if you know what you're doing. I, I appreciate you saying that because I do think for older coaches who occupy a lot of these jobs, like they should probably know that like young guys are just 
you know, for lack of a better word, like or phrase, they're coming for their necks, you know, like just trying to be more valuable and be able to do more. And I, I think that's a really interesting point. It makes a big difference. I think the best scouter that I worked with, uh, he is now an assistant coach at Wichita State. He was associate head coach at New Mexico State last year, Lou Godino. He was associate head coach at Indiana State for a long time. And I mean, he knows basketball really well. I mean, but all D1 coaches know basketball really, or all coach, all college coaches know basketball really well. Um, but he, he's, he's not like a, he's not super young up and comer, but he has, he has adapted with the times and knows sports code really well. It has enabled him to be so thorough in his scouting. Uh, he, he had um, probably the majority of our, our top teams on, on the schedule last year, and he had a high volume of scouts. And even if someone had his level of, of knowledge but didn't have the technological side down and, and the or, organized, and the, how I would describe him is just thorough, um, really, really thorough. And, and so, yeah, I had, I, he would bug me sometimes with a lot of stuff to do for him because of how thorough he is, but I could never be mad about it because, because of how good he was. No, I, I uh, totally agree with that. And, I, and like I said, I think it's people probably don't realize how much pressure gets put on the video guy. Like just because you're not you don't have a responsibility to get players. You do just constantly work, work with every single person on the staff and sometimes managing all the different things that people ask you to do gets to be a lot of different work because you might have a million different kind of jobs. And for me, it was always learning to prioritize, like obviously your head coach, that's the guy that's most important. But then like trying to figure out like, okay, which assistant task do you need? And then if you have players that really absorb film, like that's more stuff you have to do. And I always thought that was a harder thing to understand than people really knew was how much you have as an off the court position, how much work you actually have to do, which is I laughed when you said like, when you put out the Bible, you, you felt like you were a video guy again, because it is like that sometimes like when you just you end up working late, you end up staying in the office all night because you need you have 10 things you need to get done. There's just not enough hours in the day to do it. Yes. The, the video coordinator, the, the most challenging thing is that it's not on your time whatsoever. It's, it's uh, the people that you're, you're doing stuff for. And then ops is challenging because you're dealing with people that don't have the same level of urgency because they don't work <laughs> in, in basketball. So that's, that's the difference between the two is it's not on your time for video. And then for ops, it's you're, you're dealing with all these external people that are running on normal people time, not college basketball coaching time. <laughs> well, well, boys, I don't want to break up this love fest, but I'm going to do it anyway because, um, you know, you guys, if I just let you go, we could be into the final four weekends. <laughs> so that's fine. And I love it. But I got to take it and we're bringing back one of my favorite segments. I know Tyler gets, you know, all giddy and excited about this segment. It's fun. We're bringing you back to Rothstein's. So we do this segment, um, you know, with media members and various individuals as well. John loves to tweet this out, but so much blank in blank. We're going to give you a couple names. I'll let Tyler kind of take away the first three. All right. So that's just the format. You don't necessarily have to break it down, but it's and we usually go with NBA comparisons. Sometimes John will be crazy and he'll throw out like a European guy. So if oh, you guys, man, when he really gets, yeah, gets when he, into when he's it. like really seasoned, you know, <laughs> when he really, really, when he really it. wants to be James Naismith, you know. All right. So, so the first one I've got is uh, Carson Edwards. Yeah. So I, I, I had a Purdue fan in my mentions the other day, actually. Uh, and Carson Edwards is an interesting guy. He does not bring the ball up for, for Purdue. 
so I guess in that sense, he's not a traditional point guard. They have Eastern uh, bring, bring the ball up, but he by far uses the most ball screens on the team. Like he's the primary ball screener, ball handler. Uh, and then he also runs off a million screens. A million screens. Yeah, yeah exactly. And so th- I, I was trying to think of uh, what, when talking to to this Purdue user, like another another person who I, th- I looked it up on Synergy, and I think he uses seven ball screens a game. The next highest, Ryan Klein's at two on, on Purdue, um, and then all that off ball stuff he does. He's not nearly as good at any part of the game as the person who I'm about to name. But the only person who I can think of that is a ball handler like that and also running off screens is Steph Curry. You know, he's, he's, not, he's, not, he's not as good of a shooter as Steph Curry. He's not as good as a passer. He's not as big. Uh, but, but that's how they use him anyways. That's that's an interesting one that we like that because it's like the profile of his game is similar, but he's not the same. Uh, yeah, he's not as much of a point guard as people think. All right, next one. Fast rising guy on people's boards had a big game last night. Uh, Jarrett Culver, possible top five pick, I would guess. Yeah, uh, big wing. He's really, really good defensively. I guess Kawhi Leonard would, would probably be the, the college comparison, college to NBA comparison. All right, P.J. Washington. Is he going to play tonight? John Calipari's like, ah, he might not play. He might play if he's 80%. Like, all right, John, we, he's playing. But P.J. Washington, comparison. Yeah, he's I, – I, I'm really high on P.J. Washington. Uh, I think he might be a little bit underrated. I feel like he's, he's probably the best player on Kentucky by a decent amount, although they're, they're pretty spread uh, in general. But he uh, he's good on the perimeter. Like in they'll they'll throw to him, and he can throw and chase into ball screens and dribble handoffs. He shot the three well uh, this season, and I know he's well over forty percent. He doesn't take many, and then he also I think he must have a really long wingspan because he's a pretty good rim protector, and he can catch lobs. And for as for who that is in the NBA, I, I don't know. Uh, like, Paul Millsap or something. I, that's a I'm good one. That's a pretty good one. He's maybe like not that. quite the rebounder as Paul Millsap is, but like the way he posts in college and stuff, that's actually pretty good, I think. All right. Give us uh Chuma Okiki. So Chuma Okiki. Uh, Analytics okay. darling, right? People love Chuma Okiki. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Auburn in general, they're shooting so many threes. I tweeted the other day that it turns out the only thing that uh that we needed for Charles Barkley to get behind the three point revolution was just for Auburn to start shooting them and now he's all in on it. Aren't know. they aren't they like at one point in the season like they changed their offense and now they're shooting fifty percent of their shots from behind the three point line? I think they must be right around there. I know Villanova was fifty three this year, which was I think it's like the highest for a mid major or a high major, sorry, like pretty much ever and, and uh I'm sure Auburn's right there. And they shoot them in transition too. That's that's they're firing them up in transition. But uh, I actually saw someone on Twitter today, Jackson Hoy, who's an NBA guy, comparing Chuma Okiki to Robert Covington. So I will defer to, to Jackson Hoy on that one. Yeah, Jackson Hoy, good writer, writes for the Steepy. And he did, used to do a podcast on Underdog Sports, uh, Hardwood Homies. But I, I think like now just working full time for the Steepy. But really good. Uh, young guy, too. I think he's still in college. But yeah. Really starting to make his name as a draft writer. Good, good, very good follow on Twitter. Watches an absolute ton of hoops, like mid-major, low-major, some D2 guys. Like that guy, he covers his bases. For sure, yeah. I know 
Uh, I know he was early on John Morant for, for sure is, is the, is the one that he was really early on. All right. The next one, Brandon Clark. So everyone compares Brandon Clark to, to Jordan Bell, right? The, that's, that's Bell's first name, right? Jordan Bell. Yeah, who, for, from Golden State. Used to play yeah, Oregon. Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I can see that. Uh, I, I'm a little bit more, um, I'm not as high on, on uh, Brandon Clark as everyone else is uh, on Twitter. I am fine with the fact that he's the best player on Gonzaga. I just think it's um, giving it's uh, Gonzaga is so loaded. It's like, you know, they're, they have, they're like, they have so many dudes. It's ridiculous. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and so I've been really high on Josh Perkins um, all year, but uh, I, I had San Francisco's director of basketball operations on my podcast this week, Jonathan Sapphire, who played against him twice, and he loves Zach Norvell. And Rui Hachimura won WCC Player of the Year, and so it's that's to me. If you're by just emphasizing Brandon Clark, who is really really good, you're you're bearing the lead a little bit with with Gonzaga, just how talented they are. I uh. Everyone like they you think Jordan Bell or that's what people are saying. I don't know that he like he strikes me as more of a big than Jordan Bell. Like I, I don't know. Like Jordan Bell is like a really good shot blocker too, but like I kind of see a little Switchable bit more like, on defense. That's that's I think that's where the I, I kind of see him more as like a higher defensive IQ like Kenneth Fareed, who like kind of couldn't really play a ton in the NBA defensively. Teams would take advantage of him. I think like maybe that's Brandon Clark like really can finish, can rebound. Doesn't re- I guess like people have talked about that, like he can really handle the ball too, but I haven't really seen that because Gonzaga doesn't need him to do that, you know? Like, right. They, they just have so many, they, they're so talented, it's ridiculous. Like, exactly, exactly. And, and like they, they, they don't even play Killian Tilly a ton. I mean, they're starting to, but like he's supposed to be a huge part of what they do. And I think I saw Sam Vecini tweet last night that like they played like Clark, Perkins, Norvell, Hamushimura and Tilly together and they had only played that lineup seven minutes all year and it's like are you joking like that's that was supposed to be their best lineup at the beginning of the year right yeah so that, that would be with Kisper on the bench who has been starting this year and, yep. and Tilly yeah starting uh and I think it made extra sense against Florida State who like doesn't have guards on their team so no <laughs> so. only only, wing, only wings and bigs right right uh so th- yeah, that, I, that could be their best lineup. Uh, Kispert can really shoot it. Um, but, yeah, the, the point is that they, they're just loaded. All right, last but not least, so much blank in Kobe White. Kobe White. So, to me, it's, it's hard to watch North Carolina and just not see. They're, they're so the same from year to year with, with the Carolina break and how they run their stuff. It's like... I watch Kobe White and I see Joel Berry and Marcus Page and, you know, like I, I see the system. Uh, but given how young he is, um, he has had a really, really good year. He takes tough shots. and I, I think he's around like 37% from three and he'll take step backs. And um, I don't know. Do you have anyone in mind for in terms of NBA players? He's like a really good like scoring guard. I don't, he he like strikes me a little bit like kind of how Eric Gordon played when he was at Indiana. I don't think that's who he's going to be in the NBA because he's going to have the ball in his hands a ton. But I I don't honestly I really didn't like. He is a tough shot maker. He's not a great finisher at the rim though. But you're right about North Carolina. It's like you watch him and like 
Cam Johnson looks like Justin Jackson and like yeah, yeah. little looks like Bryce Johnson. If you know, if Bryce Johnson was younger or whatever, like it's the same type of role. It's like, they've had Luke may for 10 years, like Kenny Williams, like they've always had a wing. They can make shots. It's you know, it's just stupid. Like he just replaceable parts every single year for Roy. Like the people that say like he can't coach, like I get it, but I don't understand it at the same time. Cause like the results are just absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. And I, I think it would go back to the same thing where if you're, he, he has his way of coaching. So if you try to evaluate him with your way of coaching, then it's, it's, it's not going to come out looking that great. But if you realize what he's trying to do, how he's been successful with running on, on made baskets on everything, rim running, rim running, then drag screening. Um, and then also the, the rebound and they're just always, they're just always one of the best rebounding teams in the country. Um, that's, that's where, you know, his way has worked. Yeah. And you appreciate different players for different styles and different way things get done. Um, and that can go the same with cities. Listen, Philadelphia and Albany, not the same, but I appreciate Albany for what it is, but I need to get a more in-depth look at Albany. And you're going to take me through that in our next segment, city review. I'm pumped for this. You're going to just give us three restaurants you know, we're going to get some food together. We're going to hang out in Albany, New York, and then just one activity. Take it away, Jordan. All right. So actually, I think Albany is getting the NCAA tournament finally. They had it in 2003 when uh, when uh, Syracuse, they won the national championship and they played in Albany. It was like a big deal for Albany to, to have that. And they haven't had it since. I think they're getting it again, but they've had the women's uh NCAA tournament a couple times and so my number one restaurant pick I'm pretty sure Gino Ariema always comes to it when when the the NCAA tournament is here UConn is usually in the east regional so uh and it's called Cafe Italia it's an Italian restaurant um and yeah well obviously um Gino Ariema is Italian so I'm sure he has some high standards and yeah it's it's the best restaurant in Albany I would say oh that incredible now what are you are you a spaghetti and meatball guy are you a penny pasta a little <laughs> some some type of chicken i think some type okay. of chicken. Yeah. so we're doing like chicken parm with you yeah something like that, that, that good? Sure, yeah. chicken parm yeah. with a little a little nice angel hair pasta so elegantly laid on that plate i love it i'm hungry right now so i'm pumped what's the next spot ah man um so there, there's a, I would imagine, <laughs> I, I'm more thinking about this from a, from a college basketball coaching perspective. If, uh, if someone was, was trying to do fine dining on a, on a road trip or something, there, there's a steakhouse called uh, Prime that is uh, probably the, in, in a lot of people's minds, the number one spot in, in Albany. So it's called, it's called Prime Steakhouse. Uh, and, and yeah, it's not cheap, but it, it's really, really good. <laughs> Love it. Awesome. And final, final restaurant, final food spot. Well, in, uh, in my hometown. Um, so I went to a high school called Bethlehem, a public school, Bethlehem high school. And, uh, there is this breakfast sandwich spot that, uh, that we all grew up on. It's called McCarroll's. And, uh, yeah, it's like when, when you go to college or whatever, uh, and you're on your, you're on your break. That's that's all you eat during break because of how good the the egg and cheese, the bacon egg and cheese is. Now you went to you went to Nova 
did you get breakfast sandwiches at Nova or did you get like become a pork roll, egg and cheese guy? And was it any as good as this spot or no? He don't really eat breakfast that much in college. <laughs> That's <laughs> a like, good point. That's a good point. <laughs> Very good point. Sunday, Sundays at one o'clock, we would, we would go to food trucks at Temple, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I definitely, I don't, I wasn't a cheesesteak guy before coming to, to Nova and I am now, uh, we didn't, we didn't really do like the Pats and the Genos and, and that kind of stuff, but there's just cheesesteaks like everywhere right, in around Philly, you know? And um, so, yeah, that, I definitely adapted that w- during my time. And then uh, one, one activity, right, Smalls? What are we doing in Albany, New yeah, York? Yeah, what are we doing? I'm in the mood for an activity. I want to hang out with Jordan. Where are we going? <laughs> well... We are we're going to a Siena or an Albany basketball game. Ooh, I was thinking St. Rose, maybe catch a little D two action. You know, <laughs> you know, we stay at the hotel. I love that hotel. When we used to play St. Rose, I just like come in that gym. It's you know a tough place to play. Bury, he's not the coach anymore, but now they got Perna, I believe. You know, it's a tough place to play, and we can go see some good any ten basketball. But yeah, let's do Sienna as well. Sienna's got to be more exciting to go to. Jalen Pickett's pretty good as a as a freshman. That's a guy I think a lot of people are going to hear about. Jalen Pickett's good, and uh, and the arena's really nice where, where they play. Sienna plays. I don't know how much it holds, but uh, they attendance can be really good. When I was in high school, when Fran McCaffrey had a role in with uh, the, the teams that won. They beat Ohio State one year. They beat Vandy one year uh, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. And so that was I was in high school. So naturally, um, I actually when I was in middle school was when was when Albany really had it rolling. Uh, they they almost beat UConn as a 16 seed one year. They're up about 15 against Rudy Gay's UConn team. Uh, but yeah, I've I've been to quite a few Siena and U Albany games. Yeah, we played Siena at Temple when they were, it was like Ronnie Moore, Kenny Hasbrook, Alex Franklin, Rossiter, like those guys. They were awesome. Edwin Ubelis, I think. Like they yep. were, they were so talented. We also got to see a classic Fran McCaffrey, like ref meltdown at the end of the game, which was always exciting to see as, as that's been in the news a little bit lately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, let's do, uh, let's do 10 touches, uh, 10 questions, rapid fire question and answer. I got the first five. Uh, who's the funniest guy you've ever worked with or you've ever coached? Uh, funniest guy I have worked with is an assistant coach at New Mexico state. Still, uh, David Anwar, who, uh, he's been, he's been at multiple places. I'm sure a lot of coaches listen. He's well-connected, great recruiter. Uh, he is sometimes, um, unintentionally funny, sometimes intentionally funny, both, both. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys are the best. Uh, what's your worst travel experience as a part of a basketball team? At Nevada, we had a really rough travel year. Mountain West travel and WAC travel, both are pretty brutal. But um, when we were playing Utah State my first year at Nevada, our flight got canceled. I think it's like an eight or nine hour drive. And so we had to take a Boys and Girls Club shuttle bus to, to Logan. I actually was not in the shuttle bus. I was in a rental car. Um, like behind the shuttle bus or, or I figured you were driving the shuttle bus. If I was being honest, when you started the story, I figured you were the driver. <laughs> no. Uh, but yeah, it was like the, the whole way down was Snapchats of people with no leg room basically. <laughs> like, um, and yeah, it, that was, that was not, uh, we won the game though, which was a pretty big win at, at it's a win at Logan. So. 
Yeah, that makes it always better. Uh, what if you once the tournament's over and you have some time to watch TV? What uh, TV show are you going to binge watch, or are you binge watching? Yeah, that's a good question. I from November. I, I'm a. I, I definitely watch a lot of TV shows, but from November to March, I really don't watch any. Uh, do you have any recommendations? I don't know. Are you are you a Game of Thrones guy? I mean, that's coming we got back. that coming back. I've but watched then, zero episodes. You know what I loved, and I'm I'm sad it just it went by so quick. Was the Ozark? I really loved those two seasons. Stop calling it the Ozark, by the way. The title of the show is Ozark. Ozark. We're, we're, everybody, everybody that recommends it to us is like, I've been watching the Ozarks, and you're well, like, that, you're not because not you know what? I was flown in my sense. I just I was trying to think of the name, and then I said done. Most, you've watched it. every true crime documentary and uh, uh, on HBO guy. and Netflix too. Big you true just, crime well, podcast guy too. I love them. You just hit that HBO one, right? Theranos or whatever. You were you watched? You, you uh, were telling me to watch. Yeah, you were telling yeah, me to watch that. If you catch that documentary as well, yeah, I'll give you a list. All right, I, yeah, I, I, no problem. I, I like. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh no, I'm a TV guy, but uh, just not not until not until March, I guess. Yeah, or in April. 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 You're yeah, Rostin. Yeah, you, watch, you start tweeting that you watch TV in May. That's it. <laughs> my favorite part about that was on part of my take. He said that he used to say we sleep in April, but Twitter trolls would be like, "Oh, John, the national championships in April!" Like because people on Twitter have no life. So he changed his tweet to "We sleep in May," even though it's just one week of college basketball in April, just so he couldn't get trolled on Twitter. I really appreciate that about. He it. is getting trolled though, because I've seen multiple <laughs> responses say, "Well, why not? Why not April tenth or I don't know whatever?" You know, I've seen I've seen multiple people respond to that. So. I love it. When you start getting Twitter trolled, uh, Jordan, or they start making like a bracket with things that you tweet, then you'll know you've made it. That's that's kind of what it's like, I think. YouTube comments can be can be pretty mean. I did I did a uh, a video that I think it might be my most viewed on Gonzaga. It's why they are the hardest team to guard in the country. And as soon as they scored forty whatever points against St. Mary's, I had like five YouTube comments <laughs> like they just scored forty nine points against St. Mary's. So, there you go. Uh, who is, in your opinion, uh, from an X's and O's standpoint, who who is the most underrated coach nationally, or like who have you watched that people don't know is as good as he is? Yeah, uh, I have mentioned him on on my podcast before, but Mark Pope, uh, I was in the WAC for two years, and Mark Pope is the head coach at Utah Valley. I have no inside information, but I think he's probably going to get the the BYU BYU job. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Not that I have any inside information there, but it seems seems like the right fit. Uh, The stuff that they run on offense gave us nightmares to – it's very simple. It's it's basically – um, a form of, of, of continuity spread ball screen where they hand off and just run, run a ton of ball screens, but it's so fast paced that you can't really decide, or even if you do decide how you want to guard it coverage wise, it's hard to execute. And we would change our coverage every game and really just try to outscore them instead of, <laughs> instead of uh, stopping their stuff. So my next one, probably this might be the answer to it, but uh, I had, who is the toughest team you've ever scouted? Okay, yeah. So that he would definitely they would be right up there, Utah Valley. I think it's a matter of if by toughest you mean like the best or literally just they run so much stuff that it takes forever. One, one of the things I remember like when I was at Temple was like, yeah, it was bon- like St. Bonaventure. Like Mark Schmidt's so great, but like guys hated scouting St. Bonaventure because they ran 85 different sets. And it's like, well, what do we what are we pulling? And then what are we paring this down to? Cause like you can't give guys that much information. 
on a three day prep or two and a half day prep. So I, that was kind of my thought process was like, who was the hardest guy to decide? Like, this is how we're going to scout them. Yep. Uh, in the whack, that would be Grand Canyon, Dan, Dan Marley. Thunder they, Dan, baby. Let's go. They run a million different sets. We, we had a, a running list for the coaching staff that, that was very long. And then actually, I absolutely hear you that, uh, especially for some of the other coaches that, that, I, that I work for, they don't want to give the players all this information. Yeah. Uh, Coach Jans really gives the players a lot of, of what they run. We had for, for Grand Canyon, we had like easels, like, like you're in a, a elementary school classroom, putting up all their different packages uh, on, on easels. And uh, I mean, he's six and zero against Grand Canyon. It, it uh, does not surprise me that he is from the uh, Greg Marshall coaching tree with information like that. Like that is right on brand with what I would expect from people who work for Greg Marshall. And I worked for a guy who worked for Greg Marshall who was the opposite of that. But from what I've heard about Greg, if you're going to emulate his style and John Cress before that, who was a longtime coach of college of Charleston, that's what you did. You went over absolutely every single thing you could possibly fit into your 20 hours a week, if not more. Yep. Oh, yeah. Coach McGee did the same thing. It was you had to figure out every set another team ran. And then if they ran something different in the game, oh, yeah, you got shit on. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's worked. He, he's six and oh against Grand Canyon. And, uh, and that's always my counter argument to people who are like, you know, you don't want to overload players with analytics, you don't want to overload them with numbers and have them thinking. It's, yes, that's true. But think about how much X's and O's information we give them. Um, and so I think that by the end of the season, uh, a college player that has been through 30 or 35 scouts uh, are probably equipped to handle a lot of that. Maybe at the beginning of the year, uh, it's, it, that wouldn't be the case. But like come conference tournament time, we were pretty comprehensive. Yeah, all right. My uh, my next five starts off with, if you could change one thing about college basketball, what would it be? This, I mean, to me, it would be it would be the pay to players. It's not necessarily something that uh, I talk about a lot in, in my coverage, uh, but I was always very pro player, um, just how hard they work and the demands on them. Um, that that would that would probably be my uh, my thing to change. I love that. I totally agree. I think there's different ways to approach it and attack it, but I uh, totally agree. Craziest thing a coach ever made you break down? Well, the the time when that would occur would be, so you do all this work on a team, scouting. For me, it would be some analytics, a lot of video on a team. And then you think that you are done. Usually on game day, I would try to start working on the next team, right? Like um, depending on, on how your staff is structured. So like one year, we didn't rotate scouts, which was, which was miserable. I mean, it, it, was, it was very difficult to, to have to start fresh on a team immediately after your game was over. Um, but so you think you're done and and then there's always like it's a road game. There's always a text in the in the hotel room, like uh, what do they do on baseline out of the bounds with less than two minutes left in the game and their best players in foul trouble. You know, so you know something something hyper filter filter like filter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. Favorite under the radar NBA prospect in the NCAA this year. 
Hmm. Uh, that is a good question. Thanks. I, I love when tell me people tell me I have good questions because then I feel smart and I love that Tyler wrote these, but you told me I had a good <laughs> question. So well, the, the chalk one is, up for the books. <laughs> the trick is to uh, give yourself some more time by just complimenting the interview. And oh, yeah. And that's a little trick in the biz. And that's why I knew you wanted more time and we're <laughs> on that same level. So I started commenting on it. And like, that's how we do things here. We're helping people. uh i don't know though so i i do not do a ton of of projection stuff in in my work but um i already mentioned josh perkins is one of the guys who i feel is most underrated i have no idea if if he makes it to the nba or not uh but then i i really like uh point guards who use a lot of ball screens at a high level i think those guys are some of them might not be great NBA prospects, which is maybe why they're underrated nationally. Uh, but like Tremont Waters, who I think will get drafted, comes to mind. As, I mean, he just you could you could put Tremont Waters on a college basketball team, and they're going to have an efficient offense. They're going to be good, yeah. If he's five ten, which I'm not sure that he is, I do think he'll find his way into an NBA roster. I do think so. If he's shorter, I don't know. I guess regardless of that, like he just transforms a, a college offense. You just, you can put him in ball screens and, and he's going to, I mean, I guess you need some shooting around him, preferably, but, but he's going to, uh, he's going to do it. And, and those like wing type players that have all this three and D potential in the NBA, maybe their value is a little bit less in terms of their current division one uh, productivity. Most worthwhile catch-all stat. So, well, if if we're evaluating teams, then then it would I would say Kempom's adjusted efficiency margin would be the catch-all stat. Uh, you know, if if you look at the Vegas spread, it never differs too much from from what Kempom has. Yeah, little little tip here for people listening who do wager on sports. If you go on Bovada. If you look at a Kempom predicted score and the Vegas spread is like two or three or four points off, it's probably a sign that you should be betting in a certain direction. I would say that right now. That's a lot of how I wager is based on what Kempom has for totals and predicted scores. I can say this is years ago where, and I think I doubt this would happen again, but there was a total or Kempom had an error on his website where the, his predicted score was wrong uh, and the, and they had completely just copied the total and it went up like 25, 25, uh, points in like a minute. And then they just pulled it completely because Kempom had a, had a glitch. It happened today, to be honest with you, not to, not to dip into the mind of what podcasters do in the morning, but I had someone text me about LSU and Michigan's total to LSU and Michigan state's total tonight being one forty six point five. It's fine. Cause this will come out after the fact. So I won't have to defend this, but he said like, it's one fifty six it's one forty six and a half on online and it's one I think it was 151 maybe on Kempom or 152 was the total score and I, and so I went and bet the over and then literally two hours later the number had gotten bet up from 146 and a half to 150 like I, and I mean I'm not saying that had any direct correlation but it it moved very quickly which doesn't typically happen I don't think right right yeah so I mean yeah there's plenty of talented people doing analytics and, and predicting teams. Uh, but to me, Ken is, is the standard. And if a team is winning a lot of close games and their AP ranking is, is really good, but their Ken Palm ranking is n- not 
up to that standard, it it's usually pretty predictive of of things to come uh, yeah. of, of for that team. What offense would you run if you were a head coach? That is also a, a really good question. So I have uh, watched so many of the of the best teams in the country this year. Um, so having not, you know, when when you're in the WAC, you watch all WAC teams, and when you're when you're in the Mountain West, you watch all Mountain West teams. And so I've gotten to watch a lot of the elite offenses, and there's clearly more than one way to uh, to be successful. I guess I said this a little bit earlier that I'm partial towards spacing and and spread ball screens. I prefer the like Purdue right now, uh, I, I think is running some of the best stuff on, on the offensive end. They run it with a ton of pace. They read the defense. Uh, but the takeaway yesterday from, from the Purdue stuff was, wow, look at all this action. Look at how good their action is. And to me, the more important thing is that pace and that reading of the defense that they do. So if, if you're a coach and you, especially if let's say Purdue makes a final four coaches are cap copycats. Purdue makes the final four. We're going to see people running what Purdue runs and to just copy the action and to not copy the reads and, and the details would be a mistake. And so that's, that's what I, how I try to learn from, from other coaches is um, like the, the details more so than the actions themselves. Yeah, like Zach, Zach Bovere tweeted, yes, last night I saw him. We've had him yeah, on the show yep. before and go pretty far back with him. But he tweeted, like, this is when everybody is going to fall in love with Purdue and what they run. And I think he tweeted that, like, an hour before the game happened. And sure enough, like, right when you saw, like, late in the game, Carson Edwards set the back screen and Harms, like, went off it and got a wide-open dunk in overtime. And then people were tweeting, like, how great Matt Painter was. And it's like, yeah, he's been good for a long time, guys. It's just that you don't see Purdue a ton. Yes, and – it it absolutely happens. Like the uh, when the Spurs had those runs with with all their star players, especially at, it was the year where they beat LeBron, I guess when he, when he was on the Heat, and they, their ball movement was just ridiculous that year. They were running motion strong and motion weak, and like motion strong is is pass the ball and set a stagger away. That's and all it was. I was working with the Delaware 87ers the year that Brett Brown got the got the job with the Sixers and we ran their offense. We had seven plays. No joke. It was like strong, weak, loop, like fist. It was ridiculous. It was so it was so simple. Motion weak is screen the screener, which is literally called America's play by mo- my most coaches. It's yeah. like they were the reason why the Spurs were so good was reading the defense and and the ball movement and you know teaching how to play not the plays that kind of thing but but you would see it uh, like everyone was running motion strong and motion weak and college teams weren't getting anything out of it but, you know it's it, it was very simple action final one two future podcast guests for us uh so well the guy who i've had on my podcast the most is gibson piper from half court hoops uh, i would i think he has a unique perspective he's a a high school coach at Cary Academy, but he, you know, him and him and Zach Bovair are probably the two best at at tweeting the the breakdowns and stuff. I'm sure almost everyone listening has seen Gibson's work at Half Court Hoops. Um, so I think he has a unique perspective in that he's not in Division One, so he can probably break through the coach speak a little bit. <laughs> and then, but but he's watched Division One at a very high level. Um, and then my next one, well, the person who I want to get on mine, uh, the, the most of anyone is Tony Bennett. Uh, 
I, I suspect that there would be a lot of coach speak though, based off of his, uh, based off of his pregame and postgame press conferences. But, but that is someone who I love to talk basketball with. One thing about Tony Bennett though, is while he was coach speaking you to death, he would make you feel like the best human on the planet. Cause he is <laughs> such a tremendously nice guy. We have tried, maybe we'll just like, try to run into him like late at the final four after he's had like a couple Bud Lights and just break a mic out and see if he'll talk. But yeah, I, I agree. He'd be an interesting person to talk to. Uh, all right. Last two questions. Same two questions. Every guest. What's the best advice you've ever been given? So I listened to a couple of your episodes and knew this one was coming and I don't have a good answer. So for, for my career decisions, I found that when I when I was trying to decide to stay in New Mexico State when when, uh, when Coach Jans came in or to leave Nevada and go to New Mexico State or to start Hoop Vision, um, <laughs> it was like just two months of like agonizing over decisions as opposed to someone as opposed to someone just like dropping knowledge on me and then and then knowing the decision. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I would talk to as many people as possible. I mean, my parents were, were big in, in the decision as much as anyone, but also people in the industry and, and, and that kind of thing, but nothing necessarily stands out. It would be almost oversimplifying how like agonizing, uh, the coaching decisions can be. But. Well, I think talk to a lot of people is a good thing. Like you gotta, yeah, you gotta trust yourself. Great advice. But like, at least if you talk to a lot of different people, if your network, even no matter how big or small it is, if you talk to the people in your network and like, People give you unbiased opinions if they care about you. And they'll, they'll present sides that you may not be able to see because you're so close to the situation. So I agree with you. Like, it, it's hard and you don't know who to trust. And you, sometimes it's a lot of coach speak and a lot of oversimplification of things. But, like, I, I think in that, like, talk to the people that you trust and, and understand where they're coming from is a really good piece of advice. Because people don't trust a lot of people in the business. It's just kind of how it works, you know, especially at the D1 level. Yeah. And you're face to face with your 18 year old self. What are you telling that person? A young, young Jordan, young astute <laughs> Jordan. <laughs> uh, okay. From a coaching perspective, I probably should have told my, or I, I would tell myself that you probably should have walked into the Villanova basketball offices and just, and just said hi at the very least with all, with all their success, that probably would have been a, uh, a good career move. <laughs> I was actually doing some paid consulting when I was in, in college for, for a couple different teams. Uh, but the fact that I didn't, you know, try to be a manager or I don't know, something with, with Villanova, uh, was, was probably a mistake. And then, uh, for anyone listening who is into the analytics side of things, um, my number one advice to I, I get a lot of people that are asking about basketball analytics and how they can work in it and and it is to learn as much computer programming as possible uh, so i didn't I was a little bit late on, on the programming front i didn't even really like know what it was necessarily um, and so i've had to do some catch up like if you want to work in the MBA uh, in the analytics job in the MBA uh, programming is the way to get there yeah that's that's great advice. The Jay Wright thing, eh, they don't really need a lot more help. We're happy about that as Temple guys. That's totally cool. But the learn computer programming, if you want to work in an NBA front office, the one way to separate yourself is if you understand basketball and you can also program, like you can code, you got a real leg up on a lot of people that want to do it a different way. That's 100% true. So, Absolutely. And, and I would imagine it'll eventually get to the college side of things would be my guess. It's just that the budgets aren't quite as big and you have a lot more lifers in the college space that are not as... You don't necessarily have to push as small of edges, I guess, to be 
that good because not everybody is as good. So like if you can really recruit, you can overcome a lot of differences. But I think that uh, that buy in from coaches on analytics has gotten really well, has gotten really good at the D1 level. People want to get someone who's doing some consulting for them, maybe hire a GA or, or something like that but they're not necessarily putting their money where their mouth is yet. Mm -hmm. And the NBA is, they spend tons and tons of money on, on different technology and analytics. Uh, but that like, it's hard to get someone who, and I, I'm not at the end of the day, my, my, um, skills, my tech skills and my computer programming is just okay. But if you really, really want to uh, hire like the right analytics person, it's not necessarily cheap. Um, no, so yeah, not at all. That, that will be and and NBA guys or NBA will will invest a little bit more, uh, and it, maybe it doesn't happen at low majors and mid majors and and, and it can't. Um, but but it'll be an interesting thing to see going forward in, in college coaching. Yeah, no doubt about it. So we've taken up a lot of your time today. Uh, hopefully, we we are going to get you out of here before uh, the Sweet Sixteen, the other two Sweet Sixteen games start. But I want to plug everything you do. So Hoop Vision sixty eight on Twitter. Hoop Vision 68 on YouTube. You got a weekly newsletter, which I've heard is amazing. Uh, anything else I'm missing? What else am I missing? Buy the NCAA Tourney Bible. You'll have a lot of anecdotes for Final Four parties. What else you got, Jordan? What else do I am I am I missing? Yep, uh, the podcast is solving basketball. The, the 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 episodes differ a little bit, but I've had at least three D1 head coaches on. I think three. Um, I've had an ops guy on where we talked all about you know life of an ops guy. Um, I've had just tried to cover the different things in college basketball. And then we'll also do just some straight up like scouting and, and, and that type of stuff. So it's been, um, a little bit unique there and it's called solving basketball. And, and yeah, I really appreciate you guys having me on. And, uh, and I, like I said, I listened to a couple episodes before I came on, uh, and I hadn't listened before that, so I'm excited now to be a regular listener. Uh, I we appreciate that. Uh, his DMs are open. Anybody that has questions or wants to get in touch with him, because I am sure there is more of a market for people, especially uh, small college coaches. You know, we've had a bunch on, and if they don't know what you're doing, I, you know, I, I want them to get in touch too, because I, I think you can help. But Jordan, we appreciate it, man, and, and hopefully we uh, run India at the Final Four next week. All right, buddy. Definitely, definitely. Thank you, guys.